Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 98 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. We're creeping up on 100 on this format. There's 150 on the old format, so I guess it'll kind of make for 250 as a legacy, which will be pretty substantial. Uh, more and more, I've been using the podcast as an awesome opportunity to connect with people that I, I want to get to know more about in the industry. Uh, I've been following Sam Miller for a while, but it's sort of the first opportunity to do a bit of a deeper dive in conversation. We were chatting recently. And um, well, I was excited to get Sam on the show. So it's uh, it's great to have you, Sam. I'll intro you a little bit here. Um, you're a coach and mentor. You specialize in education, especially around metabolism, uh, nutrition, a lot of aspects of that stuff. Uh, and you have an upcoming book. We'll talk about metabolism made simple. Uh, you have a podcast that's just all the, of the things that you do. And you know you've been featured in a whole lot of who's who magazines and publications across the industry. So again, it's great to have you. I appreciate it, Andrew. Thank you. Cool. So I've been, I, I don't usually do origin stories, but I actually was really interested in kind of learning, you know, you're a pretty young guy. You've had a lot of success. You know, your name is out there in the industry. And I kind of wanted to to know where you came from, you know, like how it all got started and how your career led to here. Yeah, it's super interesting because as we crossed paths on this podcast and some of the various places where maybe we've both written articles or we've collaborated uh, with different media outlets over time within the health and fitness industry actually sort of brings me all the way back to my sort of high school fitness journey. And at the time, I was fortunate enough that we actually at my school started to have sort of a preparatory, almost like PT-esque um, you know, fitness class or gym class that was essentially designed to kind of expose people to some of the concepts that, you know, if you were to go get an initial personal training certification, you can learn about, you know, uh, the said principle and learn about, you know, frequency and intensity and volume and things like that. So I've, I've always kind of had an interest in health, fitness, and nutrition, even dating back to my teens. Uh, I was always active and played sports and stuff growing up. However, wasn't always necessarily in the best sort of physical shape from a physique perspective. So I always took an interest, um, especially, you know, you kind of get out of middle school into high school and as, uh, my, it was one, funny, one of my original podcast episodes, Brian Borstein came on the show and he's like, well, you know, I'm just going to be honest here. The reason I started lifting, he says, was, uh, you know, for attracting honeys or something along those lines where essentially he just wanted to look good. And uh, I had both kind of the combination of, you know, being a teenager, wanted to perform better in sports, wanted to be competitive, but also, um, you know, there was definitely a time period in my life where I probably sat in the beanbag chair too much playing playing video games and eating 3D Doritos. So with that being said, I definitely kind of went to the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of health, fitness, and nutrition. And coupled around that time, having you know the high-level physical activity and uh, being interested in other sports like snowboarding and stuff, I actually had you know pretty significant head injury that ended up sort of propelling my interest into the endocrine system, as well as kind of the connection between uh, essentially our neuroendocrine system, you could say. So went down that rabbit hole combined with my interest in personal training, nutrition, that was kind of always my side hustle. So whether it was getting out of high school, one of the jobs I was kind of seeking going into college, personal training, when I was at college working as a personal trainer and in a nutrition store. So just over time, got a lot of reps within the industry in different capacities from basic you know, kind of hourly jobs and doing things as a fitness supervisor, you know, cleaning treadmills or whatever, to working with clients really from all walks of life. Because when you're out of university and you have that fitness facility, you've got 
professors. I remember I worked with um, landscaping personnel, other students. So you'd have people who are super sedentary and maybe overweight, and you have other people who are super, super active, maybe with some pre-existing injuries, really kind of broadened by exposure from a fitness perspective. And around that time, due to my own sort of personal health journey, I started learning a lot more about kind of the nutrition and endocrine side of things as well and how that impacts metabolism. So that essentially sent me down both a, um, you know, educational rabbit hole, but also a coaching rabbit hole in terms of the folks that I worked with um, and the mentorship that I sort of sought out within the industry. I was also fortunate that my endocrinologist at the time was also a, um, in the process of becoming a professor at NYU. So I got to kind of learn a lot and pick her brain as well. In addition to a lot of unconventional mentorship and, uh, you know, having a lot of different testing and scans done on myself, which really helped to prepare me for, you know, my experience later in life as a coach. So for me, I definitely kind of got into the health and fitness bug probably in my teens, but as far as the ability to actually start serving and helping others, it's probably late teens, early, early twenties. And that kind of continued onward, um, you know, through higher education, always kind of having that part-time job and then bringing me forward to where I am today, which is largely um, in more of a business to business perspective, helping coaches, health professionals, um, you know, and, and the like essentially with their education around nutrition and metabolism. What was it that steered you in the direction of the, the business to business mentor to other coaches and away from uh, working directly with the general population? Honestly, I, I think part of it was my roster had gotten to the point where the people I were, I was providing nutritional coaching services for was like 60, 70% coaches, maybe even a little bit higher at one point. So it was, it was almost as though the people hiring me were using it more for mentorship than just their physical transformation. It's like people who knew, Hey, you know, I know I need a training program. I know I, I want the accountability or I need some strategy here. And so I went from working with people from all walks of life who are beginners or maybe had some different sort of pre-existing conditions, or maybe just barely getting healthy enough to really start exercising and getting a basic fitness base to then, you know, fast forward like 10 years later. And I have folks who are either, you know, maybe online coaches or strength and conditioning coaches, CrossFit coaches. Um, and so a lot of things that were prominent in the industry at the time, so you obviously have a lot of people following various restrictive diets and maybe needing a reverse diet or some form of a nutritional periodization. And uh, I found myself having a significant number of professionals, whether it be nutrition professionals, fitness professionals, even some medical professionals who are on my coaching roster. And it kind of got me thinking about how I was spending my time in that experience. And so one year, probably like November, December timeframe, it just kind of opened up, I guess, the equivalent of what was like Calendly at that time. I let people book calls. I would troubleshoot some client cases. And I basically asked them like, Hey, if this is a helpful experience for you, um, can I just kind of use this as a case study and, uh, you know, have kind of the, the story behind, you know, helping you with this particular client. So open the calendar folks kind of piled in, um, on the opportunity to just kind of do a little bit of troubleshooting. And, uh, I did dozens of those over the course of that couple months. And it kind of gave me the idea, you know, Hey, there's definitely a need for this. And, Right now, the way I'm doing it is people are coming in, in like a nutrition and fitness coaching capacity, but then, you know, emailing or phone calls or whatever are being spent on, uh, largely more what you would consider teaching education and mentorship concepts. So that was kind of the origin story of how the health and fitness sort of mentorship side started was really just because people were actually, 
I wouldn't say abuse like just to be um, you know, a little bit more kind of respectful to the past clients. I wouldn't say people were necessarily abusing the coaching relationship, but there was definitely a clear distinction between my clients in that like 30% base where they were clearly just there for give me my nutrition program, hold me accountable, you know, help me get towards my goals versus the people that were there to learn and wanted to kind of pick my brain and have some additional insights. And so at the time I didn't really have like a formal product offering for that. And it just sort of blossomed over time from there. So I got a couple of things I want to go into here. Uh, well, come back to ultimately, I want to know, uh, do coaches make good clients? Because, you know, I've worked with some coaches over the years and I find that it's kind of a hit or miss thing because we're, we're new, uniquely wired because we see it from the other side. Um, but I do a little bit of mentorship. I actually don't want to lean fully into the space where I become a, you know, a coach of coaches. And I think, you could probably see how a lot of people who lean into that space because they think, ooh, I'll have to work less and I'll make more money and then I don't have to, you know, interact with a client on the floor. And I and I see that sort of <clears throat> false promise with a lot of the quote business coaching that's out there. Yeah. And your story and your your progression is authentically different from that. It's it's a niche that found you versus what I think a mistake a lot of coaches make is they decide, well, I want to lean into this niche and this is where I want to go. And and I think that can become hit or miss. Uh, and it's especially problematic when you get people entering the industry <clears throat> who have no background or no track record of success and who decide they want to be business coaches. But I hope most discerning people can kind of spot that crap a mile away. So again, what, how, how is working with coaches? I mean, like, again, from the, you coach them on the nutrition side, and then we can also blend in the, the, the mentorship side of stuff because that's where you went. Sure. How is that different? And maybe to coaches who are listening, because this is, is almost entirely coaches who listeners. What could you say to them to actually make them be better clients who can get more out of the coaching experience? Because I personally feel like we are more reluctant than our clients to maybe ask all the questions or feel like we're intruding on our coach's time. That's been my experience with clients that I've had who are coaches. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And also I'd say receptivity and openness to ideas are a really big thing too. So some coaches, I think, come in and they really are there to learn and they're very receptive. They're very open. They want to try something different. Maybe they've already done their own program design and they're fed up with it. And then on the other hand, you have coaches where they think that that's what they want, but in reality, that's maybe just not, uh, maybe they haven't arrived at a place in their career where I think it's a combination of your your evolution in terms of both personality traits and emotional maturity to be able to seek that out. And I think there's a certain phase of your career where you tend to start valuing mentorship more and you view it as an opportunity to learn and grow. And you understand like, okay, I don't necessarily know everything there is to know. And so depending on the person, I think the experience can be widely different. It's kind of just like you could have a regular you know, consumer come into your business and they want to work with you. Um, in a client coaching capacity. And the experience can be largely different depending on that person's willingness and buy-in and expectations and how enrolled they are in the process. So I can't necessarily say there was the same experience for everyone. And also I was very fortunate that I did sort of catch it early on where when I noticed this was happening, I was like, you know what, I need to sort of talk to these people and establish, you know, is one-on-one -on -one coaching even the thing that they're really wanting or needing help with versus like, do you actually need something else? And you're just sort of grabbing this because 
it's what we perceive that we need, you know, what we think we need versus if there was another solution out there, would you actually sort of invest in it? And, and as that change was happening, I definitely was very cautious because I didn't want to position myself as a business coach. I knew that my business was still growing and had future potential to change. And a lot of the mentors that I sought out, especially on the business side or finance side or whatever the case may be, I went outside of the fitness industry um, after having a few bad experiences within the fitness industry. So I definitely did not uh, sort of think that, hey, you know, I've arrived, I'm going to be a business coach. This is back, you know, even in my 20s, it was certainly like, hey, you know, I'm still a younger guy, I'm learning, but I certainly feel as though I have a certain skill set around these concepts. And I know that I can help people. And I've always been pretty passionate, you know, on the education side. I think part of that has to do with um, so my parents' background and different things like early childhood development type stuff um, and my communication style. So I've always enjoyed articulating some of those complex concepts and helping people, whether it was a regular, you know, B2C client or, you know, a B2B coaching scenario with another coach. I think I just like it when we can get things to click for people, when they have kind of those light bulb moments. I really enjoy kind of frameworks, methods, models, different strategies. And I think my thinking style sort of... Uh, I guess had, I guess my thinking style sort of lend, was lending itself towards that particular approach. So being able to say, Hey, I have a framework for this, you know, way to kind of think about this and solve this particular problem, or, Hey, here's a method that you can go about your program design. That's repeatable so that you're not spinning your wheels. You're not frustrated and, and things like that. Now a client probably needs that less than a coach. Like a coach is going to be doing how many countless programs over the course of their career, every single week, they might be doing a new client protocol or a check-in. So they need that sort of methodology more than a client does. A client needs the program to follow and they need communication in the coaching relationship to ensure that it's a healthy relationship there, but they're probably not doing a ton of execution of the critical thinking around the protocol design itself. So I think it was just a different sort of avenue there. Um, but, but what you said about the business coaching was hundred percent spot on. I also, after having a few less than favorable experiences myself, I was like, maybe we need to bring sort of a different spin to what's going on in the health and fitness industry, rather than just people who are sort of these, you know, <clears throat> self-proclaimed business coaches. Um, and, and they view it as more of an opportunity of, I think it's, uh, like skipping steps in the path. Like, oh, this is a stepping stone. If I can go from, okay, I'm a coach. I filled up my roster. Well, since I made some money, well, now I can tell other people how to make money doing that thing. And therefore that's a way to do it. Versus once again, I think some of the most impactful coaches on the business side or personal development space is like they, they can help you change the way you think about things and problems in your business. Just like I hope that through FNMS and my programs and workshops and seminars, I hope that I encourage coaches to think differently about transformation related problems. And I think there's a lot of parallels there. Um, so it's really more related to, you know, not, not telling someone what to see or telling someone how, you know, how to think necessarily, but like giving them structure and frameworks to critically think about problems to come to a conclusion that's best for their client or best for their business. Because just like nutrition, there's so much context there. There's so much nuance. It depends. Like you might not want to do the thing that the business coach is telling you to do might be completely misaligned with your personality, completely misaligned with your brand. You don't enjoy it. It's not how you want to spend your time. Other people, they're like more than happy to spend their time doing that. So once again, just like, you know, whether it's a macronutrient uh, adjustment or, you know, uh, you know, deciding to do trap bar deadlifts instead of conventional or sumo deadlifts, a lot of this sort of has to do with 
unique attributes related to the client and what we can actually sort of adhere to over time. And I think that gets lost in business coaching. And so people kind of bounce from this sort hmm. of a quick fix mentality and you know, I'm one funnel away from the next thing instead of coming up with some sustainable strategies that they can use over time. So I've certainly seen that um, firsthand and even as a consumer been burned by it because, you know, 10 <laughs> for the last 15 plus years, I've been the fitness coach who's trying to grow as well. So I've certainly invested in some things like that that weren't necessarily 100% what I maybe hoped it to be. I, uh, I've actually never discussed this publicly in any format. I did briefly hire a business coach a few years ago uh, to scratch an itch. And ultimately, it was a mediocre experience. And it was sort of what you alluded to. It felt like, first of all, the person who had sold me, who I'd had the, you know, the, the in-person interactions with and, and the discussion with, was not the person who did the, quote, coaching. It was one of the, <clears throat> the team. And I found I was being fit into a box instead of like finding solutions. And it became, it got to the point where like this, the idea of going, like having these monthly calls was stressful and distracting to me. So it was actually having the opposite effect and it was not inexpensive. So ultimately I just went back and I said, listen, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm having a terrible experience. And I've never said an unkind word because ultimately it just wasn't a fit for me. And I was very lucky to get, you know, the, the remaining half of the, the contract refunded which is also why I've never come out and, you know, sort of given a bad review or whatever, because I understand that not everything fits. And, you know, I think this is one of the more, you know, traditionally reputable outlets. There's a lot <clears throat> and there's a lot of disreputable ones. But instead, what I've done is over time, I've tried to, to tease out and absorb things from people. Uh, but, you know, like I'm very careful who I bring on the on the podcast who are in that, quote, business coaching space. Luca Hosfar has been on a bunch of times. You know, I think Luca's got a ton of great ideas. Pete Dupuis is a good friend. He's been on a bunch. Mark Fisher has been on in the past. There's a handful of other ones. And ultimately it goes to what you're saying. I think if you're going to do it. You have to listen to the individual's problems and, and help them arrive at solutions versus try to force everybody into fit into the box and the ideology that you think everybody should follow the same path. Right. And that's hard to teach though. And it's also hard to scale from their business perspective too, because you know, I, I can see the temptation of kind of running a particular play from a business perspective and how that's advantageous versus sort of these different sort of customized yeah. strategies. And, uh, you know, I think we just have to be kind of careful there. And also, I, I think I had a very unique sort of experience coming up. And as a result of certain sort of coaching experiences, I was sort of encouraged to be in a particular niche when I started. Now, the problem was, to get back to nutrition and metabolism out of hormone, right? Because for such a long period of time, it's like, I love talking about nutrition and training. I love, you know, everything from you know, macronutrition, micronutrition, digestion, you know, uh, peri-workout nutrition, like literally you name it. But at the time I was like, so kind of almost like pigeonholed into this conversation about like every piece of content, everything was hormone related. I'm like, well, hormones are very important and they play, you know, a role in metabolism. And I like teaching about those things, but I'm not the type of person who's going to have a conversation about those things, you know, for example, hormones and not consider the implication of something like energy availability or our movement or our sleep on our hormones either. So I found myself in this really difficult sort of crossroads. And a lot of that was largely because of a particular sort of strategy or model that I was encouraged to pursue. And I think 
in some ways it was good, but in some ways it could have done more harm than good um, in, in that sense. But I think even with sometimes not perfect coaching situations, you learn either what not to do, or you try things on for size and then you kind of make a note and then you can iterate from there. So not necessarily all, um, you know, poor experiences or bad experiences, but just as far as, you know, something that I think added a little bit of time to my timeline <clears throat> in certain ways, um, you know, even being able like right now, just coming out with the book this fall on metabolism made simple, that's a more broad concept than, you know, writing a book that's literally only about hormones, right? Because hormones kind of fit within that like nesting doll concept or, you know, kind of a bucket related to metabolism, but it's not the only things that go into metabolism. So it's like, I had to kind of shift from one thing to another and be able to get back into a little bit of the nutrition conversation so that I could be, um, applicable to, you know, kind of have these conversations, uh, you know, and, and kind of bring those things up. So definitely some, some learning experiences for sure. But, uh, you know, that's why I think it's important when, you know, considering, you know, your particular business, I think your personality and your brand plays a really important role. And then also, you know, even how you package your offer and how you deliver, you know, different sorts of services and things like that. Um, you know, different model, like there's a lot of different ways to do, to do things. And I think people are quick to kind of copy or latch on to, you know, one particular sort of style because it worked for a particular person. Um, which is where I think we just have to be careful. And that that's one of the reasons why I try to kind of balance out, you know, I'm very, I'm a very education mentorship oriented person and understand the value and how it can kind of accelerate our time and condense, uh, you know, the time delay to certain objectives. And so I'm more than happy to kind of pursue those experiences, but I think we just have to understand that while the fitness industry has some unique components to it, that there's still broader themes of running a business and like principles related to, you know, good business ownership and good service delivery or good product delivery. And sometimes that gets lost. You know, it's like people want uh, the fitness industry to be completely exempt from all like regular business practices. And like, well, no, I mean, you, you should probably still like show up for your clients. And like, that's, that's an important retention strategy, right? So there's, there's certain elements where we're not exempt, right? There's also probably some elements where it's unique due to the relationship that we have. Um, and we're dealing with people's bodies and, and their food and, and training. So there's definitely some unique components for sure, but I think we can still learn from um, other industries and the way people do things and, and try to, you know, maybe extract some themes that we can apply to our own sort of systems or operations. Considering that your area of expertise of what you work with is around metabolism and you mentioned hormones, I mean, this is something that probably has not been a frequent point of conversation. I mean, I'd say the only person I've had on who's probably touched on this at all is Jade Tata. And I'm of the impression that he is sort of a past mentor of yours or part of his community. I was talking to Allie Gilbert and uh, she, of course, is raving about you and had wonderful things to say. So um, I know there's there's certainly overlap there. So what I guess hormones are a tricky part uh, of discussion for trainers, because I think. A, there are probably not many people with the educational credentials to talk about them in our industry. And I think there are one side of the evidence base, which gets really, quote, extreme and almost tribally evidence base that I think almost diminishes <clears throat> the, you know, the discussion around hormones. And then there's the other side that I think isn't educated, that talks as if hormones supersede everything else. And I feel like the nuance educated message is either lost in there or maybe a lot of coaches just don't know what's true and i think a lot of people are just afraid to touch it so 
within the, the lens of what I just said, what could you tell coaches that will help them navigate, know what matters when it comes to discussions around hormones and metabolism? Sure. I'll kind of rewind to the Jade thing because that's pretty funny for her. So I actually got to present with Jade back. This is like, well, pre-2020, maybe 2018 or time frame or something like that. I actually was having a less favorable mentorship experience at the time and kind of looked to Jade, but um, Jade actually never really, I, I mean, we're friends now and we're all, we're, we have a very good relationship. Same thing with Allie. Allie's like a sister to me basically. But as far as the mentorship aspect, I don't know whether it's just Jade's kind of busy schedule, other investments, things he had going on at the time. I was actually never able to work with Jade in that capacity, even though he's someone that I do like a lot. And we have, I would consider a friendship or peer sort of colleague relationship now. But it was interesting is at the time that wasn't able to, uh, whether it was his schedule or work demands, whatever the case may be, um, we certainly had some good conversation and, and, and whatnot. But he actually, the way we became closer is he invited me to present at one of his seminars. And so essentially, uh, I was able to speak, you know, he obviously has more than naturopathic background, but he would do things for both fitness professionals and healthcare professionals. And he ran essentially a female metabolism oriented, uh, summit of sorts or conference of sorts and, uh, had a number of different professionals. So he would speak a little bit, but he had different, you know, female coaches, um, also had a few, you know, kind of male practitioners as well. And so I was invited to speak more on like stress and metabolism and the intersection there. So through that weekend was able to sort of develop a little bit of a closer relationship. And then when I was in, you know, prior to him moving, when I was in California, I would just kind of hit him up and say, Hey man, you know, let's, let's chat or grab coffee or do whatever. And that's how kind of how that relationship started. And, uh, Allie and I kind of hit it off mainly because of kind of the testosterone conversation and having a little bit more on, on kind of the hormone side and men's health side, as far as the nuance around it is very, I think we have to remember when people are curating content. So I'm going to go back to the um, answer around hormones and people sort of blatantly going one way or the other, as far as the evidence base or taking extreme approach of like, Hey, with nutrition, we don't need to consider hormones at all versus there's people where it's like, everything is hormones and gut health. And there's nothing related to energy intake or, you know, macronutrients or, you know, portion control. And so we end up in this sort of, uh, screaming match on social media. And I think people forget that, you know, as far as that sort of polarity component or people going to opposite ends of the spectrum that draws attention, which leads to engagement, which leads to conversation and that polarizing sort of viewpoint, uh, is sort of better for that quick hitting algorithmic, you know, things kind of being in your favor. So folks with social media accounts who are willing to do that, grab the megaphone and be like, Hey, if, if it's your macros or, or calories only calories in calories out, you know, one, it, it does sort of draw attention there because there are going to be people on the other side who want to argue the point and say, no, hormones matter too. Um, and also, you know, we have to understand that people speak to different audiences. So one thing I always try to remind uh, my mentees and, and folks that I work with is for the person who's maybe 50 pounds overweight or hundred pounds overweight, and they live a relatively sedentary lifestyle, follow the standard American diet, Western eating, um, you know, maybe insulin resistant headed towards metabolic syndrome or prediabetes, that person does need to move, move more and eat less. So the advice that they're providing related to calories in and calories out for that particular avatar, that population, what will make them hormonally healthier is going for a walk and portion control, right? That person will actually improve their hormonal profile by becoming more insulin sensitive, which can be done with training, walking, and, 
you know, even just reducing energy intake. So we can't sort of separate, we can't fully parse out and say, Hey, you know, our eating style or our movements, you know, and essentially calories out and calories in doesn't impact hormones. But on the other side, one of the challenging aspects about that conversation is the person who has this completely dysregulated hormonal profile, you know, insulin resistant inflammation, et cetera, you know, their appetite signaling is not incredibly normal. Um, they probably don't feel the best in terms of how they're recovering from their training for males. If they have high levels of adipose tissue, you know, that's going to compromise testosterone levels. So we go down this thing and it's like the hormonal profile and environment may actually make it challenging for them to adhere to or get started on that initial sort of program. Now, does that mean that changing their, their diet and, and training is worthless? No, not at all. We totally need to engage in those lifestyle practices, but we have to realize is that our lifestyle training, nutrition, sleep, all of those things impact our hormones. And then our hormones will impact energy expenditure as well as energy intake. And so it's really, we have this sort of intersection or symphony, or it's like a marriage between two sides, as opposed to, you know, putting them in two completely different camps. I don't think you can really talk about food and training and lifestyle without talking about, um, you know, hormones and uh, all the different sort of more functional medicine related topics. And I don't think that practitioners are truly helping people at the deepest level on that side, if they're not bringing up nutrition or they're not bringing up stress or they're not bringing up training and recoverability and things like that, because they're such powerful tools. It's like movement is medicine food, you know, has, you know, so many different, you know, has the ability to have sort of therapeutic attributes So for that person who is pre-diabetic, you know, reducing their calories a little bit and having them go for a walk or get an extra 5,000 steps a day can make an incredible difference in their metabolic health. So, you know, I think we do really struggle with, you know, the nuance there. And I think, you know, on the calorie side, what, what I always sort of say, especially to folks who are just sort of perpetuating the calorie conversation is context matters, especially when it comes to calories. Like, you know, think of it as, um, walking a mile, right. So like a unit of 10 calories or a unit of hundred calories, what is it? It's a unit of measurement. And so when we think about that, you have to remember, well, if I was going to walk a mile, there's a huge difference between walking a mile on a sunny day in Kansas versus walking a mile up Mount Everest or walking in the snow or when it's like negative 15 degrees outside, uh, in Canada. So there just needs to be, you know, some, some awareness around those things, right? We have this measurement, we have this tool. Why are we manipulating, you know, the intake of this particular thing and measuring this particular thing? We're measuring it probably for physique change or, um, you know, improving our health, you know, doing different things and maybe losing body fat and things like that. And so, I think we just have to understand that both under the understanding of calories and the understanding of hormones are tools that can be used in a transformation, depending on the client that you're working with. Some people are going to have a little bit more of an aberration in terms of their physiological status quo based on their past diet history, based on their past lifestyle, whereas some people maybe can benefit from a more conventional approach. They've never dieted before. They literally just need to do some basics and they're fine. So I think we would go so much further as an industry if we could say, Hey, I see what you're talking about. And I understand that you're talking to Bob who's 275 pounds and maybe needs to get back in the gym one to two days a week and go for a walk and maybe just monitor his portions a little bit, or, you know, eat a little bit more protein. Yeah. That's, that's one conversation. And then we have people on the other end. We could also say, 
hey, yes, I do understand that we have research to support the fact that chronic dieting attempts with significant calorie reduction and high stress is probably going to lead to some metabolic adaptation that can impact your hormonal profile, albeit it might be transiently, but it still happens, right? So I, I just think we could acknowledge that, hey, maybe we're talking to slightly different audiences and rather than arguing with each other, we could spend the time helping people. But what we end up doing is each person's on their soapbox and uh, you know it feels good for them because they're getting that feedback in terms of the social media and that algorithm versus, you know, meanwhile, we still have millions of people out there who actually need help with their health and fitness. Um, so that's a little frustrating for me. Definitely a, a topic that I do speak on a little bit more frequently to my audience, but I, I think, you know, you can't, can't really neglect uh, the intersection of those two topics. I think they're basically inseparable. I mean, this is something you built a career around. You're not going to do it justice in, you know, a 15 minute segment. Yeah, I know. I could I, just let me go for like three hours. I'll, I'll continue yeah. to tell you how for each hormone that may, may be true. And there are people listening who are going to be like, ooh, really addresses. So I mean, they're going to veer right over. Hopefully check out your book. I actually, I, I got to grab a copy of it when it comes out and because I want to read it. Because this is something too, or despite, I'll give a few examples. Like I feel like my knowledge base on on hormones and metabolism is probably better than most. Uh, I'll, I'll give a, a few very superficial examples of how people demonize cortisol universally when in fact, you know, acute bursts of cortisol release, you know, from exercise is actually part of fat mobilization. It's one little thing. So in that sense, cortisol is actually an important part of, you know, our our progress, but just chronically elevated cortisol. It's like inflammation, same thing. First, first of all, most people throwing the word inflammation around, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about in the first place. But acute inflammation is just uh, the body's response to either injury or, you know, like exercise. And that's actually part of the healing process, chronic inflammation, bad. Or a lot of people may not know much about uh, the interplay of ghrelin and leptin. You mentioned appetite hormones. Uh, I like Seth, Stefan Guillenet's The Hungry Brain. It really does a really great treatment as a book for getting much deeper into understanding the, the physiological and psychological reasons why sustained fat loss, keeping it off is really hard. So I feel like your book is going to be a really good complement to that. And then I know, I know that, uh, you know, you, you touch on stuff. Allie Gilbert is really leaning in. I'm going to bring her on the podcast in the future. Uh, you know, she's really leaning into a lot of the, the testosterone conversation. You get a misunderstanding about estrogen, how estrogen is somehow this like terrible thing that'll cause fat loss or sorry, extreme fat gain, especially if it shows up in men. It's actually kind of important. You know, the depths of my knowledge there is a little limited, but just, just to kind of create a, a nuanced portrayal of anybody listening to say, most of the conversation around hormones is not extreme or absolute. Um, usually it's just if something gets really out of whack, insulin being the big one, right? Insulin gets out of whack, we got problems. Insulin is actually a really good thing. Too much of it for too long, if, especially if the systems are broken because of, you know, long-term chronic diet issues, we got some problems there. So, I mean, that's a topic bigger than this conversation, but at the very least, something I did want to kind of touch on while we have time is throughout this, especially some early stuff. And I noticed in our interaction and, and from seeing your media, you just simply radiate humility. And I, there are little trends. Anybody who listens, notice I like little things. And I find that I'm drawn more to people who are humble despite success in their careers. I've definitely, I met a ton of people in my travels. I find most are like that. There are a few with a significant chip on their shoulder and an insecure, fragile ego. Um, is is this sort of an innately wired thing, or is this something that you actually like, think about to stay grounded? You know, as your career grows. It's a super interesting question, and I think something that we do have a kind of a wider spread um, 
obstacle or challenge within the fitness industry is I think being able to, to have a level of kind of balancing confidence and humility, right? Like believing, you know, in yourself and in your stuff, but being, you know, open to ideas, sharing things, being willing to engage in conversation. But, uh, what's funny is you kind of found me a little bit later on in, in my career thus far. I mean, I'm still, still got plenty of time left, hopefully knock on wood. But uh, my Instagram bio used to say like my goals, like know all the things without being a dick about it. And uh, even when I started coaching coaches, I kind of made a joke about it. There was like a certain percentage chance that I coached your coach and really just kind of left it a little bit more like playful. Um, I wouldn't say rough around the edges, but it, it wasn't necessarily trying to be the most like, you know, uh, holier than thou type statement at all. It was really just joking around like, Hey, you know, i I really do like learning about this stuff. I love teaching about this stuff. Um, you know, I, I do do some mentorship, but also at the same time, like I'm not trying to maybe end up in that calories in calories out or hormones argument and come across as uh, a little bit brash or, you know, rub people the wrong way, because I think the message needs to be, I think, you know, how you deliver your message, how you articulate your ability to communicate with people. Um, I, I just think at the end of the day, like had kind of that impact in mind. But to be honest, I think part of the, you know, and I appreciate the compliment on the the humility side. I think part of it, one, like starts just as a child and like kind of how you are raised growing up. Um, I, w I wasn't necessarily someone who, you know, thought I was like hot shit at an early age or that I was just kind of like the best thing since sliced bread for, you know, kind of lack of a better term. And so if anything, I, I did sort of come from more the chip on my shoulder side, but also realized like, you know, projecting your insecurities on someone else isn't necessarily going to help them receive your message better, nor is it going to actually improve your confidence. So I think um, there are a variety of experiences, even dating back to, you know, my parents separated when I was like 18 months old, um, had kind of a strained relationship with one of my parents at a younger age. A lot of those formative childhood experiences definitely taught me to communicate differently and also how to receive information, share information, feelings, you know, uh, a lot of different things that played into my kind of early formative years. And then even as I became a professional, I was always kind of trying to balance, right? Like I have this information for you. I do sincerely want to help you, but also not come across as this like super abrasive kind of know it all, um, personnel. And it's super challenging. Like I, I don't view it as if I've mastered it at all. It's something I have to continue to be cognizant of and aware of over time. As far as like a regular practice for that, I think the, one of the best ways is to kind of balance, um, you know, I've heard a number of different people that I respect kind of speak to it this way is like, you're never as good or bad as you think you are. So like on your rough days or when things aren't necessarily going your way, um, you know, you're probably not at that low, but even when you've accomplished something, um, you know, I've had certain milestones in my career. I got to speak at LinkedIn in New York city. I've had, you know, like success within coaching coaches within the fitness industry, um, get certain publications or go on certain podcasts and kind of taking a step back and being like, wow, this is really cool. But I also totally have the personality where I'm I'm not like a great, I'm not that great at like smelling the roses and and like stopping to enjoy the scenery. I kind of put my head back down and I keep working. And so in in these experiences and in some of the things that you've mentioned, I think the reason I may come across that way is like I'm not necessarily satisfied with my own progress yet. And I do want to, you know, I have um, you know, I'm uh proud of the things I've accomplished, but I'm also not content or satisfied in that I know that. I can continue to grow and continue to do more and that 
I probably haven't fulfilled my own potential yet. And so my quest for that personal growth and ability to be better and help people at a higher level and learn more, share more, or kind of be more, do more, um, that continuous, you know, sort of evolution over time, I think allows me to sort of check myself because I can look around and yeah, maybe within the fitness industry, I've accomplished some cool things, but if you look at a broader scale and more of a global view or more of a national level view outside of the little bubble of the fitness industry, um, you know, it's really not that much. Uh, you look at larger businesses, heard a statistic the other day, I think it was like, I think Jeff Bezos is making like $40 million a day or something like that. So if you're more financially driven, that'll put you in check really quick. Um, you know, if maybe you're more on like the spiritual impact related side, you can always think about, um, you know, leaders like, you know, uh, maybe more of like a mother Teresa or Martin Luther King or Gandhi, like these different figures. And all of a sudden you can really check yourself really quick. Um, but you know, for sometimes you just kind of have to zoom out and sort of think about it in a way of like, if you're in a particular room, zoom out, see your house, zoom out again, you're on a street, zoom out again, you're just in, you know, whatever city, zoom out again, you're in this state, you know, zoom out again, okay, I'm in the United States, and then go up and up and up and up and up. And all of a sudden, you're kind of looking down at the world. And you're like, wow, I'm just kind of this like, little being floating around on this planet that is uh, orbiting the sun. And it's, it's kind of an interesting exercise to think about it can put things into perspective from that sense. I wouldn't necessarily say I have um, one way that I'm I'm able to to do that or accomplish that. I think it's really a combination of attributes and traits that were developed at a very early age, plus just a professional desire to like grow, um, and and that always I think allows you to have a level of self awareness where you're constantly examining weak points and ways to improve and ways to you know evolve and change. And so if you're if I'm constantly auditing myself um, and I know, you know, what I need to do, it's going to be totally different than someone else having to like call me out on my, my own shit. Like I'm going to, I'm going to get there first. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to address it. And that's just kind of always been um, my thing. So honestly, that's one of the coolest questions I think I've probably ever gotten on a podcast and not something that I have a perfect strategy for by any means, but um, it is something that's important to me because I think there's, a lot of people um, in the, in the industry that maybe don't come across that way, and um, I think we just need to be careful uh, as a profession as a whole because you know we're working with people in in something that's a sensitive area for a lot of folks and a more kind of intimate relationship. Even though yes, it's like health and fitness, it's not you know like intimacy actually, but people can be very uh, have sort of this. Uh, you know, their health history is a very sensitive conversation and their goals and, and things that maybe they've struggled to accomplish seven times over. And now they're coming to you and they're trusting you in that journey. And so I think as fitness professionals, we do need to be professional. We also do need to be cognizant of, um, you know, the relationship that we're having with these clients. So a uh, great question overall. I don't have a perfect answer by any means, but those are just a couple of different ways that I think about it and probably some experiences in my life that make me come across that way, I guess. I'll throw two things out that will parallel this. No one in our industry is a household name, right? No one, not anybody. Even the most well-known that we treat as, quote, celebrities and, and leaders of the industry, they're not household names, right? So that puts that in context. The flip side is, and I've had this experience too, in the position that we're in and, and other coaches as they grow into this, you will meet people who are, profoundly excited to meet you 
you have been influential, important, and they will travel to a fitness event to basically see you and meet you. I have traveled to events to see and meet people. And my experience overwhelmingly has been that those people were incredible, down to earth, <clears throat> many of whom have become friends of mine. Pitupui is a wonderful example. First event I went to in 2017, he was on the list of speakers. Spencer Nadolsky was there, a whole bunch of other really great people. And I got to meet a, a whole bunch of, quote, idols, people I'd learned a lot from. But I was particularly excited to meet Pete. And Pete was kind of the only person there who actually wasn't himself a coach. He's a business owner, partner, Eric Cressy, Cressy Sports Performance. And he's sort of the sales and business guy. And he was sitting quietly, and he's a quiet guy, sitting quietly at the back by himself. And I mean, maybe it was just my interpretation, but I got the sense that he sort of felt a little out of place. And I actually just made a point of going up and saying, hey, I was really excited to actually hear you present and talk to you. And he's actually become a friend, right? Great guy. He's come on the podcast a few times. So for anybody who ends up in the position, and if someone is excited to meet you at an event or walks up to you, that's a super cool thing, right? You know, I, it, and it has happened, um, you know, occasionally this sort of sounds weird. I don't talk about this, but I've had a few people walk up to me in local gyms and they're followers on social media and they're actually pretty excited. So I actually take a little bit of extra time out of my workout just to chat and what have you. And I find they just, they want to come say hi. And and then they kind of want to like, let you do your workout. They don't want to intrude, but it's, it's actually a really cool experience. So, you know, I'm honored that someone would actually like my work enough to make that effort. So I always take the time and try to make that person feel important because they are. So I think if anybody ends up in that position, as you see your career grows, that might be a really good intersection to keep humble. But at the same time, it's also okay to make that person feel important because they, they really see you as being important and influential to them. Sam, where yeah, I had some we... super interesting experiences. <laughs> like um, at one time I was in Kentucky. I vividly remember there was a guy across the street. He was like, Sam, Sam, like, and then I, I don't know that I heard him. So he, he came across the street, walked in the store that I was in time, asked, asked the manager of that store to take a photo. And it was just really cool. He's like, Hey, you're, uh, one of your mentees is actually my coach. And I was like, man, so we're like two degrees of separation removed from this sort of initial thing. And that sort of hit me pretty hard. I was like, wow. Um, the other time I was in Arizona and, uh, just kind of I was probably like shopping for fitness clothes or something. I don't know what a, what a coaches and, and fit pros actually do. Um, so it was probably, you know, probably went out, got some food and I'm, I'm walking around this particular shopping area and someone's like, Oh, are you like, is that is what? Like they're, they're kind of like hinting at like, is that, is that Sam, you know, and I listen to his podcast and things like that. And to me, it was still super foreign at the time. I think that was like maybe the second time that had ever happened. And what's super interesting. And just for anyone listening to this, that actually happens outside of my home state more than it ever happens. You know, I can go to the grocery store, I can do whatever. And like, nobody knows what I do, who I am. I mean, I don't even think my mom or dad could tell someone what I actually do for a profession at this point. But, you know, to put it in perspective, you know, I can go to the store, I can, you know, go grab coffee, do whatever. Nobody cares that I'm there. And then, so to be in a completely different other state and have someone notice and want to have a conversation about things or talk shop, um, I think is always really, really cool. And, um, I do try to to make a point at seminars and at different things to to meet different people and kind of connect overall because um, it doesn't doesn't really get old and especially in the post twenty twenty world that we live in with Zoom calls and being digital for everything I think you know 
uh, one thing about the fitness industry that's really cool that I would hope that we can bring back a little bit more of is like the live in-person events and seminars and networking and conferences or gym meetups and different things that, um, that we have in the industry, because that's a really great way to meet people, great way to connect. And, you know, sometimes we're busy running our, our businesses in our own little worlds. And there's not a lot of people in your town, in your neighborhood, in your city that maybe understand exactly what you do as a coach. And so to be able to meet these people at seminars, um, you know, you have, you instantly have something in common. Um, and that shared human experience, I think is really cool. I, um, I've never been recognized outside of like literally being at an event that I had traveled to elsewhere, but I mean, I've also been a coach here for 12 years locally. So, you know, like a lot of people just around the city just know who I am or, you know, I've met them before. So I'm more inclined to kind of get those interactions on a local level. Um, but it's, it's kind of an interesting experience too. When you get someone who walks up, this happened a couple of times, someone walks up to you in the gym and their phone is out and like your, your social media profile is literally in their hand or your podcast and they're like, hey, this is you, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's super cool. And, you know, you just talk to them, right? So yeah. at the end of the day, they're just normal down-to-earth people too. And they just like, we're excited. Um, let's tell people where they can find your social media, your website, more about your book. For sure. So I'm Samler Science on just about every social channel. And uh, my main website is Samler Science as well, uh, or samlerscience.com. The podcast, also Samler Science. Uh, the book, however, if you are interested in grabbing that, I would say it is a little bit more of a you know, more of a bridge, right? So for people who aren't necessarily, you know, looking, it's not going to be an advanced endocrinology book. It's literally designed to take someone who maybe understands the fitness industry and kind of understands some of the components about metabolism and uh, bridging the gap between those. So it's more of a, that's why it's called metabolism made simple, not super advanced metabolism for expert endocrinologists. Um, so that'll be coming available this fall. You can learn more about the book and get on the wait list for that at metabolismmadesimple.com. And uh, through that, you know, essentially fill out a little form and I will keep you up to date on the release. It should be going on Amazon and have a couple of different formats there. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the book and then kind of personal channels as well. Beautiful. Awesome. Go follow Sam, please. Especially if you're, I mean, follow him anyway, but especially if you're really interested and feel like there are major gaps in what you know about, you know, again, the hormone metabolism side of things, right? The interplay of all that sort of stuff, because I, I do feel like there isn't as much of that out there. Or like I said before, it's either polarizing or you get in tribes that either completely dismiss it or are completely unqualified to talk about it, talking out their ass. And I mean, but then again, that's almost every topic on social media anyway. Um, everybody listening, thank you again. If you haven't given me a review on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen, hey, that would be super cool. Just don't do it while you're driving. And if you happen to be someone who is brand new and found me through Sam's Media, eh, scroll through who I've had on the podcast. I'm really proud over the history of it to have had what, who I consider to be the who's who of the industry and check out some of your favorite people and maybe you'll stick around. But uh, thank you so much again. And I will bring you guys a new guest next week. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Andrew.